0: Years after the great reformer Martin Luther had stayed at the Castle Coburg during the Diet of Augsburg, a friend of his visited the room that Luther had been staying in in this time of quarantine, where he was doing all of his studying, and in the room, Luther's friend found that Martin Luther had written all over the walls all of the thoughts that had stabilized him day by day. And one of the things that Martin Luther had written on the wall were these words. There are times when, for the sake of God's word, we must endure the hardship, anguish, and persecution which the Holy Cross brings upon us. In such times, we can rightfully bestir and strengthen ourselves with God's help in such a way that we can be bold, alert, and cheerful committing our cause to God's gracious and fatherly will. Martin Luther, like the Apostle Paul, knew that there are times when disciples must endure hardship and anguish and persecution because of the cross. In short, discipleship involves a lot of suffering, doesn't it? Following Jesus means, as we saw last week, that suffering is the plan. Suffering doesn't mean that God's plan has failed, suffering is the plan. And in those times of hardship and anguish and persecution, we must strengthen ourselves, as Luther said, with God's help so that we can be bold, alert, and cheerful. When we suffer, we must commit our cause to God's gracious and fatherly will. And that's where we will experience His comfort, when we do that, when we begin trusting our Heavenly Father and what He's doing. And that's what we'll see in verse 5 today. Our big idea today is, I believe, Martin Luther approved. He would say to us today, from his experience at the Castle Coburg, he would say to us, wallpaper your reality with God's Word. Whatever is going on in our lives, we must wallpaper our reality with God's word. We must rightfully bestir and strengthen ourselves. We must commit our cause to God's gracious and fatherly will. So if suffering is the plan, then one of the ways that we endure and one of the ways that we experience God's comfort is by wallpapering our lives with the truth of God's word. And that's what Paul is doing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 5. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bibles if you haven't. Paul wants the Corinthian church to know that no matter how much they suffer, God's comfort will match their suffering and then so much more. Paul knows that because they're Christians united to Christ that they will suffer So he wants to remind them and give them hope that no matter how deeply they suffer, they will experience God's comfort even more. Isn't that great? No matter how deeply you suffer, and you feel that, don't you? It's like all of your nerves are on fire when you suffer. You feel that, but God's comfort will outshine whatever it is that you are suffering. So no matter what we suffer in this world, if it's persecution, slander, accusations from people, sorrow, you fill in the blanks, whatever we suffer, God's comfort overrides all of that. What comfort that brings to us, right? No matter what we experience in this fallen world, God's comfort will triumph. God's comfort gets the last word in our lives, not our suffering, not our affliction, and not our hardship. What comfort that brings to my heart. Suffering is not going to get the last word in my life. God's comfort will. Ultimately, we'll see that in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's true for us now. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 5 and hear the word of the Lord. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So Paul knows how life in a fallen, broken world works. He knows how life for a disciple is in a fallen, broken world. We suffer a lot. We share abundantly in suffering, as Paul says here in verse 5. And sometimes we lose sight of this when we suffer and when hardship invades our lives, we're surprised by it, aren't we? Sometimes we are caught off guard by suffering, right? When, when problems happen, it can be very big, cancer diagnosis or something, or it could just be you wake up and your refrigerator went out. And that's suffering, isn't it? Because you just bought that really good tri-tip. Now you got to cook it fast. Suffering comes in all forms. And when it does... We tend to be surprised by it, don't we? As the Apostle Peter says in First Peter four, verses twelve and thirteen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we shouldn't be startled and surprised when we suffer, whether we're suffering for being a Christian. Or just suffering because we live in a fallen, broken world. Suffering is the plan. And so you may need to wallpaper your reality and wallpaper your life with the first half of verse 5 here in 2 Corinthians 1. And you may need to do that so you can remind yourself that you will suffer in this world. And you will need to wallpaper your life with the first part of verse 5 so that you're not caught off guard When it does happen. Because if you're like me, when you do suffer hardships and trials, you may ask this question, why is this happening to me? Answer, because suffering is the plan. Because we live in a fallen, sin-soaked world because of Adam's sin. And so Paul wants the Corinthian church to wallpaper their reality with what he says in verse 5. If they suffer, and they do, and they will, then they must never let the immensity and the intensity of that suffering choke out the hope that Jesus will provide them with comfort. If Paul had a highlighter or could use a bold font, he'd do it on the back half of verse 5. It would look like this. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul would bold face the last half of verse five. And we need this reminder because when we suffer, if you're like me, the devil shows up with a bag full of lies in hopes that he can persuade me, number one, that God is not good. Number two, that God has abandoned me. And number three, I should be full of despair. If you're like me, The reality of the first half of verse 5 is all that I fixate on when I suffer. My reality becomes I am sharing abundantly in suffering. And the last half of verse 5 often fades away. The promise of comfort from God fades away. And one of the reasons that happens is because I stop and entertain the lies of Satan This is how the devil works when we are suffering. He would have us believe that when we are suffering, that it's undeniable proof that God isn't good. Suffering, says the devil, is God just being mean to you. But on the contrary, when we suffer, when we endure affliction, God isn't being mean to us. God isn't being cruel to us. He's actually giving us a gift. He's giving us more of himself. And he's helping us care more meaningfully for others who suffer so that we can take the abundant comfort that we receive and we can pass it on to them. And so it all happens, as Paul says here, through Christ. Those are key words right there. It comes through Christ. It comes through the Spirit. It comes through the gospel. Paul Tripp says the central lie of Satan to all God's suffering children comes in the form of this question. Where is your God now? The lie embedded in this question is that our suffering is clear evidence that we have been forsaken by God. And if God would leave us to such travail, how is he worthy of our trust? It is a direct attack on the truthfulness and goodness of God. Satan is not so much mocking us for having believed as he is attacking the character of the one who has tricked us into believing by huge promises that our suffering now proves were never true. How horrible to rob suffering people of their only place to look for hope. Satan's question, where is your God now, doesn't expose God's untrustworthiness. It exposes the utter hatred of the father of lies. When you suffer and the devil poses this question to you, where is your God now? Tell him, right here with me comforting me abundantly comforting me Jesus is right here in the back half of verse five abundantly sharing his comfort with me and so it comes through Christ it doesn't come through social media or the news listen I had to get off social media a few weeks into the quarantine I just couldn't handle it anymore it's just everything is negative it's not worth the one positive that I get. I've got a whole book full of positive. I had to get off. And every once in a while I get back on, I'd look at Heather and I was like, why did I get on? Why did I open Twitter? Ah. Oh. You have to watch what voices you're listening to. Because I tell you right now, the news and social media, at least right now, for me and my experience, They're not going to give you the comfort that your heart needs. Paul says your comfort comes through Christ, through Jesus, through his word, through his spirit, through his people, not through social media. So you must be careful what voices you're listening to right now. What the devil wants to happen when you and I suffer is this. He wants us to respond to our pain and respond to our suffering by turning away from God. By turning away from the hope of the gospel and then turning inward. He wants us to have this obsessive self-focus. And that's so easy to do when you suffer, isn't it? It's just so easy to turn inward when we suffer and obsess about all that we are enduring, right? So we think a lot about what we suffer when we suffer, don't we? We spend a lot of time thinking about what we are suffering as we are suffering. We spend a lot of mental energy on it, don't we? I mean, think about all the hours that you spend thinking about what you're suffering, thinking about what you're going through. It's a lot, right? I know I do. That's why the book of Job is so long. One reason the book of Job is just chapter after chapter after chapter of three guys discussing Job's situation is because when we are suffering, we spend a lot of time thinking about what we are suffering. We spend so much time rehearsing choices and conversations and thinking, what if and why did and why didn't, why, why, why? And Paul spends a lot of time talking about suffering here at the beginning of 2 Corinthians because he has spent a lot of time thinking about his suffering, thinking about all the accusations that have come his way from the super apostles who had invaded the church at Corinth. He spends a lot of time thinking about it the same way that Job's friends were accusing him. He's thinking about the accusations from these super apostles. So it is natural to think and obsess about things when we suffer, to play those things over and over again in our minds. But make sure you stop often while you're thinking about what you're suffering. Make sure you stop often and remind yourself that God is good and that God is in control and that He is the God of all comfort and that He is working in ways that you have no idea about. Stop and thank Him. Stop and recalibrate your heart with a promise from his word. Like here in 2 Corinthians 1.5. Stop and say, he's going to share abundantly his comfort with me. It comes through Christ. Just stop and worship. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you just have to tell yourself, shut up and sing. Stop and tell yourself, God knows best. I don't. And I can trust him right now. I did this a few weeks ago. I just kept telling myself, God knows best. God knows best. I don't. Who am I? I'm an idiot. Why do I think I know what's best? God knows best. God knows best. I can trust Him. When we obsess and turn inward, this is not the mind of Christ. Because we know from this whole paragraph here in 2 Corinthians 1 that suffering should cause us to look up to God and then out to others. And the Bible is full of story after story where we see this truth emerge that Jesus leads us into suffering. He leads us into loss so that he might enrich us with lasting gain so that we can then share that enrichment with others. So take the comfort that you experience when you suffer because God is offering you more of Himself. And what you lose in your life when you suffer will lead you to lasting gain that can't be taken away, that you can then pass on to others who are suffering. So understand that Paul is not writing from some ivory tower when he writes to the Corinthian church. What Paul said in verse 4 about God and suffering and comfort, all of that, Paul experienced that firsthand. So he's not some guy with a PhD in the Bible who just sits in his office at the seminary and writes commentaries and articles for theological journals, totally removed from life and ministry. No, Paul was on the front lines. He was on the leading edge of gospel ministry. And do you know what comes with that territory for Paul? And for anyone on the leading edge of gospel ministry, suffering and hardship and countless beatings and loneliness and nakedness and starvation and weakness and death threats and stonings and being shipwrecked and drifting at the the sea for days and danger, danger, danger. All of that stuff that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So ministry was not easy for him. Listen, ministry is tough. As my wife Heather is fond of saying, ministry is not for the faint of heart. So in contrast to what the super apostles were saying, Paul wants the Corinthians to know that God led him to this place of loss, led him to this life of suffering in order to enrich Paul with a gain that would last forever, which is namely knowing and enjoying Jesus more. So all that Paul lost in coming to Jesus gets replaced with what he calls gain in Philippians, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's some of the comfort that he is able to share abundantly in and then pass on to others. It's knowing and enjoying Jesus in the midst of what he suffers. That's the paradox of discipleship right there, is that we are able to know and enjoy Jesus more as We suffer, and then we're able to take that comfort and then pass it on to others. So here Paul is showing us that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ entails a constant pattern of suffering for Christ and then experiencing his comfort. It comes through Christ, he says. But what does this phrase here mean? We share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Is Paul saying that we somehow share or add to the sufferings of Jesus on the cross? No. Paul is saying that whenever a Christian suffers for being a Christian, because they are engaged in the ministry of the gospel, witnessing, serving, whatever, it constitutes Christ's suffering. So when you speak up and you share the gospel at your workplace and they mock you and laugh at you, you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. In other words, when we suffer for being Christians, it's precisely because we are united and linked to Christ. It's because of him that we suffer. Thus, they are called Christ's sufferings. As Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But what's so interesting here is the words that Paul uses, the words share abundantly, which he uses two times in this one verse. It means to abound or to overflow the set boundaries, you might even see it in a footnote in your Bible that says something like, For as the sufferings of Christ abound for us, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 1.9 when he is praying that the love of the Philippian church would overflow and abound more and more. So what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is, Is that suffering abounds and overflows in our lives? That suffering doesn't come in neat, tiny, little, manageable packages. I mean, we want that, right? We want small. Slightly uncomfortable sufferings that we can manage, that that we can fit into our schedule, that we can squeeze into our calendars as if if we say, Jesus, you can bring suffering into my life, but I've only got room for about an hour of it on Thursday afternoon, right? We want small, manageable sufferings. We certainly don't want suffering getting all over the place in our lives, overflowing the set boundaries. But Paul says sufferings do overflow the set boundaries. Like if your toilet overflows, it goes beyond the set boundary. That's the word here. That's how suffering comes into our lives. It doesn't come in bite-sized, manageable portions. It overflows the set boundaries sometimes. It takes over our calendars. It takes over our schedules, and it takes over our hearts. So Paul is saying here that Sometimes we have seasons in our lives when we will overflow with sufferings. Our cups will run over with affliction. Life isn't just suffering, but there are seasons in our lives when suffering just overflows. And in those moments when we feel like life is an overflowing toilet and life stinks, and we think we just can't take it anymore... Paul gives us some hope on the back half of verse 5 here. When we feel like the boundaries of suffering could not overflow anymore or we'll crack and give into absolute despair, Paul then says that our comfort overflows too. It comes through Christ, he says. In other words, Jesus comes to us in those moments when our life is just overflowing with suffering and he gives comfort. So when you suffer in any way, when you, when you think you can't take it anymore and you're so overwhelmed that you're going crazy and you're about to snap, none of you have been there the last few months, have you? Your pastor has. I don't know if that encourages you or you want to find a new church now. But it's been tough. Heather and I have talked about how it's just exposed all this sin in our hearts, the way we're snapping at our children. When you have those moments when you feel like you're about to snap and you cannot go on, you must not forget that God's comfort and strengthening will overflow the set boundaries to you. You will share abundantly in His comfort. You may be suffering so much that you begin to think there's no way you can go on anymore, but His comfort will overwhelm you. That's the hope of the gospel. Overflowing suffering does not get the last word in our lives. Overflowing comfort from Jesus does. And understand this. How you react in your suffering, how you have reacted the last three months does not change God. It does not change the back half of verse 5. Aren't you glad? God is with you. He is with us. How we react, whether we believe one day and struggle to believe the next, doesn't change the fact that God is with us, comforting us. What good news that He's not fickle. Because I don't know about you, but when I suffer, I have pity parties. And I invite Jesus to them. And He shows up. And He doesn't show up with a bunch of I told you so's and why did you do that? He comes to my pity party And he comforts me and gently tells me, you're wrong. But when I suffer, I usually have pity parties. And I struggle to believe God's promises. And I doubt far too much. And I feel like God is punishing me. And he's not. And I don't appear to be some super Christian. And that's exactly what these super apostles were saying to the Corinthians. Corinthians. They were peddling this triumphalistic version of Christianity where you always had to appear victorious even when you suffered. You always had to have a smile when you were suffering. You always had to be chipper when you were suffering. Listen, Christianity is not about showing off how impressive we are when we suffer. Isn't that good news? That You don't have to... Put on a, fake a smile when you're suffering and go to church? Aren't you glad that this is a church where you can be real? Christianity is not showing off how impressive we are when we suffer. I'm just counting it all joy, brother. Christianity is about proving how merciful Jesus is. Trying to be impressive, trying to have it all together always backfires because eventually you suffer so much and the pain gets so real that you finally let your guard down and you get real with people. Suffering has a way of exposing your fake swagger. The super apostles, like many Christians, have sadly come to believe. The super apostles were telling the Corinthians that they should always be formidable when they suffered, always successful, always triumphalistic, always smart, always witty, always energetic, always cool, always positive, always chipper as they suffered. Their triumphalistic theology was divorced from real life. Divorced from real emotions, divorced from real human hearts, and divorced from real suffering. I mean, who can survive that kind of theology when you're suffering? Who wants to have pressure on them to always be formidable when they suffer, to always be successful, to always be triumphalistic, to always be smart, always be witty, always be energetic, always be cool, have the pressure to always be positive and always chipper? Who needs that kind of pressure when your heart's breaking? Who wants Christian cliches and platitudes when you're suffering and you're just barely hanging on? I mean, who wants to hear that? Listen, when you suffer or someone you know is suffering, you don't need to hear Christian cliches and platitudes. You need to be told that Jesus is always with you and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the always that you need to hear. Not the always chipper, always formidable, But Jesus is always with you. That's what Jesus said. I am always with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always with you when you're struggling to believe. I am always with you when you're angry about what you're experiencing. I'm always with you when you're full of doubt. I am with you always. And I will never leave you nor forsake you when you struggle to believe and when you're angry and when you're full of doubt. What sweet words from our Savior. The good news is this. No matter how we respond in our suffering, God is with us, comforting us. His comfort is not conditioned on how we act or think or feel during our suffering. His comfort is not conditioned on that. He's not saying, well, you really doubted me today, so... Huh? Can't give you any comfort until maybe tomorrow you'll really believe my promises and then I'll comfort you. No. His comfort is not conditioned on how we act or how we think or how we feel during our suffering. He is Emmanuel when we doubt his love, when we doubt his sovereignty, when we think we could run things better. He's still Emmanuel. He's not the God who runs away. He's the God who with us, who's with us when we doubt. His sovereignty. And when we think we could run our lives better. He stays put. He doesn't run away. Amazing. Me, an idiot. Trying to tell the living God. I know what's best for my life. He doesn't leave me when I say that. He stays and he comforts. And he stays with us even when we're angry at him. For the suffering that he has allowed to come into our lives. He is God with us. Comforting us. Even when things are not hunky-dory in our hearts. His comfort comes not when you're always chipper, not when you're always smiling. It comes when you break down and cry and you get real with Him. He comforts you. He is God with us, comforting us when we doubt, comforting us when we fear, comforting us when we rage, comforting us when we despair. He's always with us. Even if we are to totally fail our theology test, He is with you when you suffer and you get an F on your theology test. Isn't that good news? What honors the Lord when we suffer is not getting an A plus in our theology. What honors the Lord when we suffer is when we get real with Him and we say to Him, you comfort me, you sustain me, you refresh me. That honors the Lord as the God of all comfort. And in those times when you feel like you just can't go on anymore, tell God how you really feel. And then wallpaper your reality with God's word. You must quit obsessing about the suffering. You must quit obsessing about the first half of verse 5. And you must hightail it to the last part of verse 5. Which says, so through Christ we share abundantly. We overflow in comfort too. You must camp out in the last half of verse 5. You must preach to your heart that no matter how painful life is, the comfort of Jesus is more. And you may have to reach out to someone and tell them to preach to your heart. You may have to reach out to someone and say, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in a fog. God's promises seem so fuzzy. Preach truth to me. Tell me about my Savior. Tell me about his goodness. Tell me how much he loves me. Tell me that I'm forgiven. Tell me that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Tell me about the good shepherd who laid down his life for me. Tell me everything you can and everything you know about Jesus. Sometimes you might have to do that when you're suffering. You might have to reach out and tell someone else tell them to wallpaper your reality with God's word. Sometimes that is how God comforts you. Here's an example of that. Ray and Jenny Ortland endured a very difficult season of ministry at a church that they pastored before planting Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. They were so wounded and so hurt from this church experience, they didn't think they could go on in ministry anymore. They just wanted to quit. It's not worth it. Life is short. Why do we, why do we want to keep doing this? And then David Pallison, many of you know him, biblical counselor, written a lot of great books. He passed on some wisdom and comfort to them. And here's what Ray Ortland said about David Pallison last year, shortly after David died. He said this, Remembering David Pallison moves me deeply. When everything was on the line for Jannie and me, David and Nan were there for us. We spent a day together in 2007. For Jannie and me, a catastrophic disaster of a year. David was an oasis of calm, gentleness, and reasonableness amid a swirl of accusations, loss, and heartbreak. David, with Nan, kept our hope alive. One suggestion David made became so significant that I have passed it along to many others since then. I can't remember his exact words, but it went something like this. Ray and Jannie, you were suffering, and it isn't going to get better anytime soon. So here's an idea. Ask the Lord for a verse of Scripture, a promise in the Bible to help you get through this. And when that verse jumps off the page into your heart, make it the theme of your life while you slog your way forward. However dark the nighttime sky might be, you can always look up at that North Star promise, getting your bearings again and keep going. But wallpaper your reality with the word of God. And so we did. We asked the Lord to personalize to us some biblical encouragement of his own choosing. And he did. Jannie was reading 1 Peter 5 soon thereafter, and verse 10 was a direct hit in the best of ways. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We seized that verse. We memorized 1 Peter 5.10. We discussed it, prayed over it. Jannie wrote it out on three by five cards and taped them to the inside of the kitchen cupboard so that every time she went to get a glass or a plate, there was 1 Peter 5.10. I wrote it out and stuck it to the visor in my truck so that at a red light, I could look up and be strengthened by 1 Peter 5.10. We never let that verse out of our sight. And in ways we could not have imagined, God has proved faithful to his promise. To this day, whenever Janet and I experience some restoring, confirming, strengthening, or establishing mercy, we look at one another and say, 1 Peter 5.10. In fact, we did so just yesterday. That word from above didn't merely help us cope, it redefined how we experience reality. It kept me in the ministry. David Powlison understood human despair. He understood how God helps sufferers. He understood what we need is a hope dependent on nothing in this world but grounded in God alone. The word himself in 1 Peter 5.10 has become, to me, one of the most precious words in all the Bible. God Not delegating the task to any angel, but God himself getting personally and directly involved with us in our real need. How glorious. At the time, I have to admit, though my heart resonated with 1 Peter 5.10, I struggled to believe it. Janny believed it more than I could. But David was right. And thanks to his wise counsel, I turned toward the Lord with the weak faith I had. And gradually I was enabled to believe it more and more. And now I know at a deep and personal level that God Himself restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us when we have nothing to offer Him but our sorrow and need. Thank you, David. Thank you. Isn't that a great story? That is Second Corinthians chapter one, taking the comfort we receive and passing it on to others' business. So let me ask you, are you suffering now? Do you feel overwhelmed with life? Do you feel like the pain is so deep you might not make it one more day? Are you in the pit of despair? Depressed? If so, ask the Lord. Get alone today and tomorrow and ask the Lord for a verse of Scripture. Ask Him for a promise from His Word that can help you get through this season of your life. Ask the Lord to personalize to you. It could be 1 Peter 5.10. Ask him, personalize it to me, Lord. What does my heart need right now in this situation? Would you personalize a verse, some bit of biblical encouragement of your own choosing, Lord, and then take that and plaster it everywhere. Write it out on three by five cards. Stick it in your cupboard so every time you get a plate or a glass, there it is. Put it on your visor in your car. When you're at a stoplight, you can look up and be recalibrated. And then in ways that you could not have imagined, God will prove faithful to that promise. And when that verse jumps off the page into your heart, when the Lord gives that to you, make it the theme of your life during the season of your suffering. However dark the nighttime sky might be, you will have that north star promise that you can always look up to to help you get your bearings again and keep going. And so I think the late David Pallison, along with Martin Luther and along with the Apostle Paul, would tell you today, wallpaper your reality with God's word. I had to do that this morning. I woke up and just felt full of shame and guilt for all the sin in my life. You probably never wake up that way in the morning, do you? Well, I do. And I just like, oh, Lord, I got to go preach. And I don't do fake well either, so I might just get up there and say, I'm a sinner, amen, let's go home. You can't do that on the first official day back preaching, can you? So here I am saying, Jesus, something's going to have to happen this morning because I'm not feeling it. I just feel the weight of my shame and my guilt. And the Spirit brought this verse to me in Psalm 130. It just, it, it, it just popped into my, into my brain, and so I opened my iPhone. I was like, i got to read that. Psalm 130 Verses 3 and 4, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So if the Lord's keeping track of ministry, I'm not the only guy with all the sin in this church. You're standing with me. Thank God he doesn't mark our iniquities, right? In Christ, he forgives them. You're forgiven, Christian. I'm forgiven. So I just had to wallpaper my reality with Psalm 130 this morning and just remind myself that with Jesus, there is forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your care for us. Thank you that you don't run away when we have pity parties and we complain about everything happening in our lives. Thank you to that you don't run away when we get mad and wrongly accuse and blame you for things that happen. Thank you that you stay put, and thank you that the reality of the back half of 2 Corinthians 1-5 far outweighs the truth that we do share abundantly in suffering, that your comfort overflows into our lives. Would you help us to humble ourselves when we're hurting? And to cry out for friends and say, speak into my heart and speak into my life. Because I'm doubting God's goodness. Would you help us to humble ourselves and to cry out to others and just tell them, would you tell me about Jesus? Make us a church, Father, who passes on the comfort that you give to us to other sufferers. Give us all a verse today, tomorrow, this week that can kind of become our North Star to help us get our bearings again, Lord. And then may you get the glory in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.